0: in the month of may 5k every day in the month of
1: may welcome to day 12 of the 5k every day in the month of may 2022 challenge you have made it to day 12. that's pretty awesome I wanna talk about that for a moment because it just doesn't get much more mundane and seemingly insignificant than day 12 of a 31 day challenge. But I wanna encourage you that there is no such thing as a mundane or insignificant run. Each day you are getting closer and closer to your goal of running and or walking for 31 days in a row. Each day you are getting stronger. Even if your muscles are sore and you feel like you are actually getting weaker, you're not. All of this work is going to pay off and make you better and stronger in the end. Not only are you getting closer and closer to your goal, and not only are you getting stronger with each passing day of putting in the work, but each day and each run has a hidden joy within itself. As we are reading through the Gospels together, I am constantly reminded that God is speaking to those who have ears to hear, that God is revealing to those who have eyes to see, I want that to be me. I don't want to just get through my run or just get through my day. I want to notice the things that God wants me to notice. I want to enjoy the hidden joys. I want to be led by the Spirit and full of the Spirit and walking in the power of the Spirit today. I want to hear the voice of God today and soak up His love for me and obey His clear directions. So, all of that to say, don't buy into the lie that this is just an everyday, average, ordinary day. In Christ, there is no everyday, average, ordinary day. He has a plan and a purpose for your life. He wants to give you a future and a hope. He is for you. He is with you. His mercies are new each morning. The psalmist tells us in Psalm 113, verse 3, from the rising of the sun to its setting, the name of the Lord is to be praised. If you were diligent and looked ahead, you would know that today's daily fun photo challenge is to run or walk while the sun is rising and snap a photo of the sunrise. Now, if you're listening to this podcast while running or walking your daily 5K and the sun is already up, then you missed it. But if you are currently taking in the glorious golden rays of the morning sunrise and preparing to snap a picture, go ahead and take a moment to stop. Stop your Garmin. Breathe in deeply the breath of life. Thank God for waking you up again today. Snap an epic photo and continue on your way knowing that God is good and God is fulfilling His promises to us yet again today. And to keep us going, to get our blood pumping and our legs moving, let's get started with a song from Poland Band called Everlasting.
0: There is no God like you in all the universe For you create and sustain life The moon and stars are yours You hold them in your hands And you exist outside of time As big as you are, you still care. For you always have and you always will be there. You are the hope of the world. You are the Savior to all. You are Your grace, be all-consuming, holy God. And as big as you are, you still care. For you always have and you always will be there. before the everlasting one you are the hope of the world you are the saviors you are you are from
1: Years I've had the privilege of bringing world champion surfer C.J. Hobgood onto the podcast. C.J. was active as a professional surfer from 1999 to 2015. He was the Association of Surfing Professionals Rookie of the Year in 1999 and became the World Surf League World Champion in 2001. Of course, he has won many other major events beyond that, but the thing that I love about CJ is that he is just a great guy who loves Jesus. I'm super excited to be able to bring him onto the podcast again this year, so I hope you enjoy this conversation with CJ Hobgood. So for the past several years, I have had the absolute privilege of getting a chance to sit down and talk with CJ Hobgood. CJ, we met through a mutual friend, Dean Plumley, and I think we were in Maryland or West Virginia. I don't remember. And I just remember getting a chance to meet you and to hear your heart. And, uh, you know, from my perspective, I feel like we really hit it off like we were kindred spirits, long lost brothers. Man, I have so appreciated staying connected with you throughout the years, getting a chance to hang out with you from time to time, and to hear your perspective on different things. So it's a huge privilege for me to be able to bring you onto this podcast. And I just want to know, uh, you are a world champion surfer, uh, amazing in your craft. I've watched the documentary that was, I think, on Amazon of you and your brother. Amazing stuff. Super talented guy. But for you, uh, your life is not just about surfing. Your life is about God. Your life is about Jesus. And I would love to hear what is God teaching you right now? And what ways are you seeing God moving in your midst right now? Thank you for the introduction.
2: I was, uh, as you were saying that, I was like, okay, yeah, that's why I get on the podcast. Just so, um, because I am, I feel so removed from surfing that, um, you make me feel like a surfer again with those intros. (laughs) um, yeah, no, we, we, um, I think we have, you know, obviously a great mutual respect, but, um, look, I, I, I admire you and, and how you, you know, run the race and, and live your life. And, um, it really shows me a lot of areas that, um, I'm, I'm really encouraged to sort of, um, yeah, God to work on me in those areas and I'm able to look at you and sort of, it's a good example. Um, but you know, honestly, where God's been working on me a lot lately, I feel, or I'm constantly reminded is, you know, we kind of been going through this, you know, tough time where you see, I don't know, I just feel like I see more people struggling. And maybe it's because I'm in Orlando, you know, and uh, just like struggling with life, whether it's, you know, financially or uh, mentally or just whatever. And I think I've noticed that when I keep seeing a lot of people like that, I've, I've sort of had a tendency to sort of you know, kind of have a harder heart than I should. And um, I've constantly been praying and talking to God, like God, I need more compassion. I need more, I need more compassion in my life. Like I, and I I only can get that from you. I need your help in these areas because I've noticed some knee jerky things at times where like, I don't feel like it's me where I'm just like, no, that person's fine. Or that person can take care of himself or that person got himself into that predicament and those sort of things. Yeah. So that's what I've, I've been praying for compassion, man. And for God to give me more of it. So,
1: yeah. You know, as someone who was really at the top of your game, at the height of what you were reaching for a world champion surfer, there's not too many people who can say that that's really an incredible thing, but now you're, you're in a different season. As far as I know, you're not necessarily chasing the world champion surfer title again, but you're out there, you're active, you know, that's in your blood, it's who you are, it's who God created you to be. And I'm just curious, like, how do you find joy in continuing to do what you love at a different level? And when I ask that question, I know there are so many people who are listening to this podcast who you know, they're running a 5k every day in the month of May, but maybe they're they're feeling a little discouraged because they look back to their high school days when they were running track. And the reality, if they're if they're honest with themselves, they're like, Well, I'm never going to be that fast again. Or maybe they're looking at their 5k times from their 20s or their early 30s, and they're realizing. That was a season and it was good, but I'm probably never going to get to that level again. And, uh, you know, I'm looking at that myself. I've had a couple of really fast marathons and uh, just between me and you, I think I can do better. So I'm working towards it, but maybe I won't, you know, how do we find joy in the level we're in, especially when we can look back to yesterday and so easily become depressed that like. I might never be there again. I think you're a great example of somebody who finds joy in life and you are at the height of what you were chasing. And, uh, you, you still are a man who's full of joy and full of the Holy spirit where you're at now. I'd love for you to just talk into that a little bit and let people hear your heart on that.
2: It doesn't matter what you do. It doesn't matter how good you are at it, how bad you're at it. It just, you know, time and tide wait for no one. And, uh, It's funny because, like, you're maybe not as good of a runner as as you maybe were at one time, but I still look at you and go, "This guy's gnarly, right?" So there is that inherent thing where you're like, "Of course, I'm nowhere near and and don't practice the craft, like you know, surfing." But people still get stoked, right? And then, and you do a really good job of sort of recalibrating it and sort of going out for for you know a purpose, and it's a different purpose. And it's funny, you know, I used to look at the wave reports, I used to obsess of like when am I gonna go surf? How is it? So it's really a cool place when you when you really truly like, you know, you've given a gift and clearly God gave me the gift to surf, right? And then so for me to like truly give it up and chase other things, you know, chase my wife, chase being a dad, chase my kids. When you give it up and you chase other things, and then when it gets given back, meaning then when I have the opportunity to go surf or something, it is there's just a joy there from giving it up, and then you know knowing that God's like, all right, you know, here's like a bonus round, like, and then you you'll be in these situations where you're like, oh my gosh, I can't believe it, like the waves are firing and and no one's around, like I know that you gave me this. I didn't chase any of this. This is just you know, the doors just swung wide open and just thank you so much. And and when, when you're in that sort of gratitude, wow, can't believe it. I mean, joy just comes flooding in, you know, and I uh, I remember you telling me a story too, where you're like, oh, I was going to do this marathon and then do this marathon. And, and you just sort of recalibrate it. We're like, what, no, dude, I'm just doing it for this person. I'm just to be there for that person. And we're just going to talk and whatever sort of God has for us, you know, and then by doing that and not chasing some time or chasing you just were, you know being there for someone else and sort of chasing that that moment and that opportunity and that fellowship, like joy just comes flooding in. So like um, so yeah, I think that is completely understood, and you definitely need to get out of the that sort of mentality at, at all cost um to enjoy life and sort of the next chapter. And then just being and then the next phase of that is sort of just being kind and patient and just allowing those things to happen. I know, you know, I know I've had a relationship with surfing over 35 years, right? So, the, and, and even though I've been given the, the gift to do that, like the relationship year to year, decade to decade is so different. And I've been able to mirror that I've sort of recognize that in running because like I've probably only you know, ran for like three years now. And honestly, dude, almost like week to week, month to month, definitely year to year, my relationship with running and how and what God is like talking to me about and, you know, the the internal battle and the the sort of physical and the mental like, dude, it, it's constantly changing. So I'm sort of trying to recognize those and trying to like, be Kind and patient with the relationship that I have with surfing at the moment, or with running at the moment, or then you can even relate that to your spouse, or your kids. Like there's just relationship seasons that are constantly changing, and just being okay, and patient, and kind, and and and, and asking God for more. And um, yeah, that posture definitely, you know, and to be able to bring those across the board in other categories with with the Creator is uh, I don't know. That's kind of just where I, where I've been at.
1: I think it's a good word, man. Thanks for sharing about that. I have a theological question for you that just popped into my head, and I think you're probably the foremost theologian to answer it. So here it is. You and I, we both have put our faith in Jesus Christ alone for salvation, so we know that after we die, we're going to heaven. Will we surf in heaven? And the follow-up question to that is, is there any chance that in heaven... If we surf, I'll be half as good as you are. <laughs> um,
2: you know, I think that's easy for the human side of me just to be like, yeah, we're going to be surfing, going to be doing all these things because like, I do know that that's the extent of our understanding, like what's the greatest things we've had, right? And then like, oh, the perfect barrel. So when we get up to heaven, we're going to have the perfect barrel, but that was just sort of my understanding. I just know whatever the best thing that's ever happened to us here, it's going to be so much more than that. So I know the capacity of, of my brain and your brain, Jeff, we we can't even go there with God. So we just know it's just so much greater. And then the next question, are you going to be as good? I mean, clearly I think, um, I think probably good is not even it's just it's just yeah i don't know like joy overflowing like i don't even know if like good or bad even come in like you know talent or not talent even comes into equations when there's just like you know joy you know like kind of think of that moment where you're just like you're praising god or just somewhere and then just this motions that just come over you so craziness now, could you imagine like, oh, this person's good or this person, you know, or like this person's a good surfer, this person's a bad surfer, this person's a good musician, this person's not. Like when there's so much joy and emotion like overflowing, I don't even think those things can enter. So that's sort of my very minute um, sort of just to barely like scratch it or even just look at it from afar, um, understanding <laughs>
1: Yeah, I think you handled that very well. And what I heard, if I could just interpret it very quickly, is that you, me, and Jesus will be surfing together with pure joy. And I appreciate that. That's a great picture in my mind. Yes, it will be
2: pure joy. And we will be surfing in, in some sort of adjective as far as a joy that will be overflowing.
1: <laughs> the people who are listening to this podcast most likely do not have an eye towards the surfing community. But part of the reason I even asked that question, (laughs) number one, I was very curious to hear how you would answer it. But I also just wanted to plant that idea in our minds and a reminder that even though the surfing community is not necessarily on our radar, the reality is it is on God's radar. God loves everyone. I mean, for God so loved the world, right? He loved the people in America. He loved the people in China. He loved the runners. He loved the surfers. He loved the world that he gave his only son that whosoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. And you're somebody who's in relationship and actively involved with a community that a lot of us don't really consider on a day-to-day basis. But I really wanted to take this opportunity in the podcast to ask you, CJ, how can we be praying for the surfing community right now. Maybe somebody listening to the podcast could pause the podcast after hearing this answer and even spend some time just lifting up uh, individuals or the whole community to the Lord. Because I know there are people in the surfing community who don't know the Lord. How could they be reached? How could we pray for them? I know that there are people in the surfing community who are incredibly spiritual but they haven't figured out the Jesus aspect yet. How can we be praying for them? I know there's people in the community like you who have put their faith in Jesus and how could we encourage those people? So from someone in the surfing community, how can we join you in praying for the surfing community right now? That's the, that's the compassion and the, the heart that you
2: have. And one thing that encourages me, probably why I've been asking for more of it But on a side note, all the surfers, we always say, you know, there's no atheist in the impact zone. And what we mean is like, someone will take off on a wave, maybe it's a big day or whatever, and someone takes off on a wave. And then, you know, you're sort of out the back and you're, you know, you're supposed to monitor them. And it's part of the the buddy system. Um, But when they're down for a while, you know, they're praying, right? When you're pinned and you, you can't come up and you're, you know, you've got no more air left and you're trying to figure out and you're like, God, just please, man, please let me get to the top. Just, you know, I'll uh, just, just, just this time to let me get to the top, you know? Um, so it's funny how, regardless of what you, what you believe, but it is funny. It's a, always a sort of a joke when the waves get big and, um, someone's down for a while, you know? So with that said, I'll sort of transition into, um, you know, there's no atheist in the impact zone, but there's also to be engulfed by, you know, so much beauty, the ocean, the power, the strength, the, all these sort of things that are sort of touching the the human heart and human spirit. Um, it's really, it's hard to, to deny it, um. First of all, I am very, very thankful of surfing and all the people that God's put in my life because of surfing because there's some amazing followers of Jesus, Christians in the surfing community that have helped me out along the way. and um, I'm very, very thankful for them. and yeah, I kind of I kind of feel on that on that note that there there are a lot of people out there that are you know in in that sort of like, you know, I want to pray for this person, I want to pray for this person I want to keep praying for this person, I want to keep praying for this person and they just, they do it like earnestly for decades for, for some person. So I know that exists and uh, I'm very, very thankful for that. And, uh, you know, I feel from like a competitive side of it, I wish there, you know, I wish there was a little more inroads, even not, I mean, chaplains like on tour and with the competitive and the competitors, but just like people that are, that are there, that are like known to be like, Hey, here's a guy that like, if you're on tour and you're going through a bad time, like you can talk to this dude, you know? So like, I know there was a couple of people that were sort of underground when I was on tour. And so like, I really just pray for those, those people to be injected and at, at the right time for the, the next generation, like like people that were there for me.
1: So essentially, if I'm hearing you correctly, God is sending missionaries, surfing missionaries into the surfing community. And really the best thing we could do at this point uh, would be to lift up those surfing missionaries who realize they're not just there to serve, but they're there to represent Jesus and to lead others to Christ. Mm. Yeah. You know, at that highest level
2: is sort of where, where my heart's sort of at and the people I'm thinking of and the experiences that I had. And I just want, I would really want that for the next generation. I don't know at what level it exists and I know God's moving and working. I just, That's kind of where my heart, it goes to.
1: Man, I love that. I love CJ's heart. I hope that you appreciate that conversation. But more than that, I hope you will join me in praying that God would send out and strengthen the missionaries to the serving community. To the fishermen, Jesus said, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. To the surfers, I believe Jesus is reaching out to them and saying, you will no longer catch just waves, but follow me and I will empower you to catch men with the good news of the gospel. Father, we pray that you would encourage those who are in the surfing community who realize that they are first and foremost ambassadors for Jesus Christ. Strengthen them and encourage them and give them the words to speak to their surfing friends today. And for those servers who do not know you, we know that there is no atheists in the impact zone. Help them to see your goodness and your glory and your power today and help them to trust in Jesus Christ alone for salvation today. May there be a revival that breaks out in the surfing community. I pray, God, that you would be so glorified and that the surfing missionaries would be so effective in proclaiming the gospel that surfers around the world would become synonymous with Christ followers. Only you can do this, and we ask that you would. In Jesus' name, through the power of the Holy Spirit, and to the glory of God the Father, we ask. Amen. Our Bible memory verse for this week is Matthew 28, verse 19. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Now let's go ahead and jump back into the daily Bible reading. We are currently in the Gospel of Mark. Chapter six, Jesus left that part of the country and returned with his disciples to Nazareth, his hometown. The next Sabbath, he began teaching in the synagogue and many who heard him were amazed. They asked, where did he get all this wisdom and the power to perform such miracles? Then they scoffed, he's just a carpenter, the son of Mary and the brother of James, Joseph, Judas, and Simon, and his sisters live right here among us. They were deeply offended and refused to believe in him. Then Jesus told them, a prophet is on honored everywhere, except in his own hometown and among his relatives and his own family. And because of their unbelief, he couldn't do any miracles among them except to place his hands on a few sick people and heal them. And he was amazed at their unbelief. Then Jesus went from village to village, teaching the people. And he called his 12 disciples together and began sending them out two by two, giving them authority to cast out evil spirits. He told them to take nothing for their journey except a walking stick. No food, no traveler's bag, no money. He allowed them to wear sandals, but not to take a change of clothes. Wherever you go, he said, stay in the same house until you leave. But if any place refuses to welcome you or listen to you, shake its dust from your feet as you leave to show that you have abandoned those people to their fate. So the disciples went out, telling everyone they met to repent of their sins and turn to God. And they cast out many demons and healed many sick people, anointing them with olive oil. Herod Antipas, the king, soon heard about Jesus, because everyone was talking about him. Some were saying, This must be John the Baptist raised from the dead. That is why he can do such miracles. Others said, He's the prophet Elijah. Still others said, He's a prophet like the other great prophets in the past. When Herod heard about Jesus, he said, John, the man I beheaded, has come back from the dead for Herod had sent soldiers to arrest and imprison John as a favor to Herodias. She had been his brother Philip's wife, but Herod had married her. John had been telling Herod, it is against God's law for you to marry your brother's wife. So Herodias bore a grudge against John and wanted to kill him. But without Herod's approval, she was powerless. For Herod respected John, and knowing that he was a good and holy man, he protected him. Herod was greatly disturbed whenever he talked with John, but even so, he liked to listen to him. Herodias's chance finally came on Herod's birthday. He gave a party for his high government officials, army officers and the leading citizens of Galilee. Then his daughter, also named Herodias, came in and performed a dance that greatly pleased Herod and his guests. Ask me for anything you like, the king said to the girl, and I will give it to you. He even vowed, I will give you whatever you ask up to half my kingdom. She went out and asked her mother, what should I ask for? Her mother told her, ask for the head of John the Baptist. So the girl hurried back to the king and told him, I want the head of John the Baptist right now on a tray. Then the king deeply regretted what he had said, but because of the vows he had made in front of his guests, he couldn't refuse her. So he immediately sent an executioner to the prison to cut off John's head and to bring it back to him. The soldier beheaded John in the prison, brought his head on a tray, and gave it to the girl who took it to her mother. When John's disciples heard what had happened, they came to get his body and buried it in a tomb. The apostles returned to Jesus from their ministry tour and told him all they had done and taught. Then Jesus said, Let's go off by ourselves to a quiet place and rest a while. He said this because there were so many people coming and going that Jesus and his apostles didn't even have time to eat. So they left by boat for a quiet place where they could be alone. But many people recognized them and saw them leaving. And people from many towns ran ahead along the shore and got there ahead of them. Jesus saw the huge crowd as he stepped from the boat and he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. So he began teaching them many things. Late in the afternoon, afternoon his disciples came to him and said, This is a remote place and it's already getting late. Send the crowds away so that they can go to the nearby farms and villages and buy something to eat. But Jesus said, You feed them. With what? They asked. We'd have to work for months to earn enough money to buy food for all these people. How much bread do you have? He asked. Go and find out. They came back and reported, We have five loaves of bread and two fish. Then Jesus told the disciples to have the people sit down in groups on the green grass. So they sat down in groups of 50 or 100. Jesus took the five loaves and two fish, looked up toward heaven, and blessed them. Then, breaking the loaves into pieces, he kept giving the bread to the disciples so they could distribute it to the people. He also divided the fish for everyone to share. They all ate as much as they wanted. And afterwards, the disciples picked up 12 baskets of leftover bread and fish. A total of 5,000 men and their families were fed. Immediately after this, Jesus insisted that his disciples get back into the boat and head across the lake to Bethsaida. While he sent the people home, after telling everyone goodbye, he went up into the hills by himself to pray. Late that night, the disciples were in their boat in the middle of the lake, and Jesus was alone on the land. He saw that they were in serious trouble, rowing hard and struggling against the wind and waves. About three o'clock in the morning, Jesus came toward them, walking on the water. He intended to go past them, but when they saw him walking on the water, they cried out in terror, thinking he was a ghost. They were all terrified when they saw him. But Jesus spoke to them at once. Don't be afraid, he said. Take courage, I am here. Then he climbed into the boat and the wind stopped. They were totally amazed, for they still didn't understand the significance of the miracle of the loaves their hearts were too hard to take it in. After they had crossed the lake, they landed at Gennesaret. They brought the boat to shore and climbed out. The people recognized Jesus at once and they ran throughout the whole area, carrying the sick people on mats to wherever they heard he was. Wherever he went, in villages, cities, or the countryside, they brought the sick out to the marketplaces. They begged him to let the sick touch at least the fringe of his robe and all who touched him were healed. I should have pointed this out earlier. We're already six chapters deep into the Gospel of Mark and I haven't even mentioned it, but you're probably already seeing it yourself. The Gospel of Mark, like the Gospel of Matthew, is absolutely not meant to be seen as chronologically accurate. Now, I don't want that statement to in any way take away from the power or the reliability of Mark's gospel. Not at all. It can be difficult for us non-Hebrew, Western, Greek-minded Americans to understand this. And at this point, I'm assuming that the vast majority of people who are tuning into this podcast would fit that description. If you are a non-Greek, Eastern, Hebrew-minded, non-American, I apologize for not including you in my incredibly generalized statement. But it can be difficult for us non-Hebrew, Western, Greek-minded Americans to understand why someone would write about the life of Jesus, but not put the details in chronological order. That is just not how we think. And in fact, in just a few short days, we'll be in the Gospel of Luke, who is certainly not American or Western, but was incredibly Greek-minded and non-Hebrew. In the opening verses of his Gospel, he will explain very clearly that his purpose in writing it was, in fact, to create an orderly account of the things that had happened. It is highly likely and widely believed that Luke's Gospel was the third Gospel written. And it does appear that he was trying to help non-hebrews and in particular a likely influential man by the name of theophilus understand who jesus was what he did where he did it and when those details are important to luke but that's the gospel of luke and i'm getting way ahead of myself because we're still not quite halfway through the gospel of mark we have to remember that the gospel of mark is physically written by john mark but is almost certainly being dictated by simon peter one of the first followers of jesus and to be honest It kind of reads like a typical first century Jewish fisherman would talk. It moves quickly, it just gives the facts, and it's a little bit raw. I kind of like it. I love that we have the gospel from Peter's perspective. Another fascinating aspect of the Gospel of Mark, which really reinforces the idea that it was being dictated by Peter, is the fact that the Gospel of Mark is full of water and fish stories. While Matthew, being a tax collector, was the only Gospel writer to include the exact amount of money that Judas was paid to betray Jesus, in the Gospel of Mark, we see details that only Peter, a first century fisherman, would include. For instance, here in Mark 6, towards the end, we read, "...when they had crossed over, they came to land at Gennesaret and moored to the shore." Now this is the kind of wording that only a fisherman would really use, giving more credence and credibility to the idea that Peter was dictating the contents of the gospel while John Mark did the actual physical writing. It's also interesting, especially in light of the very credible idea that Peter is dictating the contents of this gospel, that Peter walking on water does not appear in this chapter. It is not likely that Matthew was mistaken, yet Matthew is the only one who includes that bit of information. Was Peter too embarrassed to talk about it? He shouldn't be. I'm jealous of him. It was his idea to get out of the boat and to walk on water, after all. And he was doing it. Every time that I go to the Sea of Galilee, I try my own hand at walking on the water. I currently have a 0% success rate. So if Peter was embarrassed, he shouldn't be. That's awesome. Surely he didn't forget about it. I could never forget about experiencing something like that. Perhaps he omitted that part out of humility. Or, perhaps while retelling what happened, he just wanted to focus on Jesus. Not focusing on Jesus, after all, was what caused him to stop walking on the water and to fall into the water in the first place. Perhaps the life of Peter shows us that you can teach an old fisherman new tricks. Chapter 7. One day some Pharisees and teachers of religious law arrived from Jerusalem to see Jesus. They noticed that some of his disciples failed to follow the Jewish ritual of hand washing before eating. The Jews, especially the Pharisees, do not eat until they have poured water over their cupped hands, as required by their ancient traditions. Similarly, they don't eat anything from the market until they immerse their hands in water. This is but one of many traditions they have clung to, such as their ceremonial washing of cups, pitchers, and kettles. So the Pharisees and teachers of religious law asked him, Why don't your disciples follow our age old tradition? Tradition. They eat without first performing the hand washing ceremony. And Jesus replied, You hypocrites! Isaiah was right when he prophesied about you, for he wrote, These people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. Their worship is a farce, for they teach man made ideas as commands from God. For you ignore God's law and substitute your own tradition. Then he said, You skillfully sidestep God's law in order to hold on to your own tradition. For instance, Moses gave you this law from God honor your father and mother. And anyone who speaks disrespectfully of father and Mother must be put to death. But you say it is all right for people to say to their parents, Sorry, I can't help you, for I have vowed to give to God what I would have given to you. In this way, you let them disregard their needy parents. And so you cancel the word of God in order to hand down your own tradition. And this is only one example among many others. Then Jesus called to the crowd to come and hear. All of you listen, he said, and try to understand. It's not what goes into your body that defiles you, you are defiled by what comes from your heart. Then Jesus went into a house to get away from the crowd, and his disciples asked him what he meant by the parable he had just used. Don't you understand either? He asked. Can't you see that the food you put into your body cannot defile you? Food doesn't go into your heart, but only passes through the stomach and then goes into the sewer. By saying this, he declared that every kind of food is acceptable in God's eyes. And then he added, It is what comes from inside that defiles you. For from within, out of a person's heart, come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, greed, wickedness, deceit, lustful desire. Envy, slander, pride, and foolishness—all these vile things come from within, for they are what defile you. Then Jesus left Galilee and went north to the region of Tyre. He didn't want anyone to know which house he was staying in, but he couldn't keep it a secret. Right away, a woman who had heard about him came and fell at his feet. Her little girl was possessed by an evil spirit, and she begged him to cast out the demon from her daughter. Since she was a Gentile, born in Syria and Phoenicia, Jesus told her first, "I should feed the children, my own family, the Jews. It isn't right to take." food from the children and throw it to the dogs. She replied, That's true, Lord, but even the dogs under the table are allowed to eat the scraps from the children's plates. Good answer, he said. Now go home for the demon has left your daughter. And when she arrived home, she found her little girl lying quietly in bed, and the demon was gone. Jesus left Tyre and went back up to Sidon before going back to the Sea of Galilee to the region of the Ten Towns. A deaf man with a speech impediment was brought to him, and the people begged Jesus to lay his hands on the man to heal him. Jesus led him away from the crowd so they could be alone. He put his fingers in the man's ears, then spitting on his own finger he touched the man's tongue. Looking up to heaven, he sighed and said Ephatha, which means be He opened. Instantly the man could hear perfectly, and his tongue was freed so he could speak plainly. Jesus told the crowd not to tell anyone, but the more he told them not to, the more they spread the news. They were completely amazed and said again and again, everything he does is wonderful. He makes even the deaf to hear and gives speech to those who cannot speak. I believe that one of the most common misconceptions about Jesus is the idea that he did away with or somehow broke the Ten Commandments. This is simply not true. By his own admission, he did not come to do away with the Ten Commandments, but to fulfill them. Jesus was the Word made flesh. He was the perfect personification of the law. His life was exactly what our lives would look like if we obeyed the perfect law of God, including the Ten Commandments. If Jesus would have actually broken the Ten Commandments, as many have foolishly contended, not fully considering the implications of the claim, he could not be our sinless sacrifice. He would not be the lamb without blemish. He would be flawed and he would die for his own sin, not ours. So it is clear that Jesus did not break the Ten Commandments, and neither did his sacrificial death put an end to the law that he fulfilled. Some have said that the Apostle Paul makes the argument that Christ's work on the cross put an end to the law, ushering in what they call the age of grace. And it is true that Jesus personified grace in a way that should be modeled in our own lives, but he also personified truth, grace and truth. This is what the Gospel of John says, The word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. The truth is that the perfect law of God still stands. I am currently working on a book that will go to great lengths to not only prove this point, but to give practical ideas of what that looks like to lovingly live this out in the modern age. Pray for me as I try to finish it before I die. The Apostle Paul simply did not believe that Jesus did away with the Ten Commandments, nor did he ever teach such a thing. Any interpretation of Paul's writing that would intend to make that case is simply a misunderstanding of what he was trying to say. Here is a clear example of what Paul did write and believe concerning the Ten Commandments. Owe no one anything except to love each other, For the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. For the commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet, and any other commandment are summed up in this word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no wrong to a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfilling of the law. And that's Romans 13 verses 8 through 10. Grace and truth. Obey the law. Because to obey the law is to love God and your neighbor. Paul uses four of the Ten Commandments to make that point. Clearly, he would not use something that he saw as obsolete to make his point. That would be self-defeating. In today's Bible reading, we see Jesus illustrate this same idea. When the Pharisees gathered to Jesus with some of the scribes who had come from Jerusalem, they saw that some of his disciples ate with hands that were defiled, that is, unwashed. For the Pharisees and all the Jews do not eat unless they wash their hands properly, holding to the tradition of the elders. And when they come from the marketplace, they do not eat unless they wash. And there are many other such traditions that they observe, such as the washing of cups and pots and copper vessels and dining couches. And the Pharisees and the scribes asked him, why do your disciples not walk according to the tradition of the elders but eat with defiled hands that's mark 7 verses 1 through 5 and here in the passage we see that jesus or more accurately jesus's disciples are being accused of breaking a law but it is clear that there is no actual law in question this is merely a tradition of the elders and many other such traditions as it's told in the scripture itself and jesus rebuked them by quoting isaiah and then saying you leave the commandment of god and you hold to the tradition of men And he said to them, you have a fine way of rejecting the commandment of God in order to establish your tradition. For Moses said, honor your father and your mother and whoever reviles father or mother must surely die. But you say, if a man tells his father or mother, whatever would have been gained from me is Corban, that is given to God, then you no longer permit him to do anything for his father or mother, thus making void the word of God by your own tradition that you have handed down and many such things you do. That's Jesus talking in Mark 7, verses eight through 13. So Jesus used the fifth commandment to describe to them how their traditions have been used to actually reject the law, not to fulfill it. There's an old story about a woman who prepared the Thanksgiving turkey each year by cutting off the legs and cooking them in a different pot from the rest of the bird. And one year, her daughter came to her and asked, "'Mommy, why do you cook the legs in a different pot?' The mother simply answered, "'Because that's how we always do it.'" "'But why?' the girl asked. "'Well, that's how my mother taught me to do it. I guess you'll have to go ask her.'" So the little girl asked her grandmother, "'Why do you cut the legs off the turkey and cook them in a different pot?' The grandmother simply answered, because that's how we always do it. But why? The little girl asked. Well, that's how my mother taught me to do it. I guess you'll have to ask her. So the little girl approached her great-grandmother and asked, why do you cut the legs off the turkey and cook them in a different pot? And the great-grandmother laughed a little bit and said, that is silly, isn't it? I always did it that way because I didn't have a big enough pot to fit the whole bird. This story, along with the exchange in Mark 7, causes me to pause and wonder, are there any silly traditions that have been passed on to me which keep me from obeying God rather than helping me to obey Him? Chapter 8 about this time, another large crowd had gathered, and the people ran out of food again. Jesus called his disciples and told them, I feel sorry for these people, for they have been with me for three days, and they have nothing left to eat. If I send them home hungry, they will faint along the way, for some of them have come a long distance. His disciples replied, How are we supposed to find enough food to feed them out here in the wilderness? Jesus asked, Well, how much bread do you have? Seven loaves, they replied. So Jesus told all the people to sit down on the ground. Then he took the seven loaves, thanked God for them, and broke them into pieces. He gave them to his disciples who distributed the bread to the crowd. A few small fish were found too, so Jesus also blessed these and told the disciples to distribute them. They ate as much as they wanted. Afterwards, the disciples picked up seven large baskets of leftover food. There were about 4,000 men in the crowd that day and Jesus sent them home after they had eaten. Immediately after this, he got into a boat with his disciples and crossed over to the region of Dalmanutha. When the Pharisees heard that Jesus had arrived, they came and started to argue with him. Testing him, they demanded that he show them a miraculous sign from heaven to prove his authority. When he heard this, he sighed deeply in his spirit and he said, why do these people keep demanding a miraculous sign? I tell you the truth, I will not give this generation any such sign. So he got back into the boat and left and he crossed to the other side of the lake. But the disciples had forgotten to bring any food. They had only one loaf of bread with them in the boat. As they were crossing the lake, Jesus warned them, Watch out, beware of the yeast of the Pharisees and of Herod. At this they began to argue with each other, because they hadn't brought any bread. Jesus knew what they were saying, so he said, Why are you arguing about having no bread? Don't you know or understand even yet? Are your hearts too hard to take it in? You have eyes, can't you see? You have ears, can't you hear? Don't you remember anything at all? When I fed the five thousand with five loaves of bread, how many baskets of leftovers did you pick up afterwards? Twelve, they said. "'And when I fed the four thousand with seven loaves, "'how many large baskets of leftovers did you pick up?' Seven, they said. "'Don't you understand yet?' he asked them. "'When they arrived at Bethsaida, "'some people brought a blind man to Jesus, "'and they begged him to touch the man and to heal him. "'Jesus took the blind man by the hand "'and led him out of the village. "'Then, spitting on the man's eyes, "'he laid his hands on him and asked, "'Can you see anything now?' "'The man looked around. "'Yes,' he said. "'I see people, but I can't see them very clearly.' they looked like trees walking around. Then Jesus placed his hands on the man's eyes again, and his eyes were opened. His sight was completely restored, and he could see everything clearly. Jesus sent him away, saying, Do not go back into the village on your way home. Jesus and his disciples left Galilee and went up into the villages near Caesarea Philippi. As they were walking along, he asked them, Who do the people say that I am? Well, they replied, Some say John the Baptist, some say Elijah, and others say you are one of the other prophets. Then he asked them, But who do you say I am? Peter replied, You are the Messiah. But Jesus warned them not to tell anyone about him. Then Jesus began to tell them that the Son of Man must suffer many terrible things and be rejected by the elders, the leading priests, and the teachers of religious law. He would be killed, but three days later he would rise from the dead. As he talked about this openly with his disciples, Peter took him aside and began to reprimand him for saying such things. Jesus turned around and looked at the disciples and he reprimanded Peter. Get away from me, Satan, he said. You are seeing things merely from a human point of view, not from God's. Then calling the crowd to join his disciples, he said, if any of you wants to be my follower, you must give up your own way, take up your cross and follow me. If you try to hang on to your life, you will lose it. But if you give up your life for my sake and for the sake of the good news, you will save it. And what do you benefit if you gain the whole world but lose your own soul? Is anything worth more than your soul? If anyone is ashamed of me and my message in these adulterous and sinful days, the son of man will be ashamed of that person which He returns in the glory of His Father with the holy angels. We are officially halfway through the Gospel of Mark. I'm always amazed by how quickly this Gospel moves. Jesus is already talking about His death and resurrection here in Mark 8. He will continue this message as we move through the rest of the Gospel of Mark, and already tomorrow we will be talking about the triumphal entry once again, which signifies the beginning of Holy Week. We opened today's podcast episode with a song from Pullin' Band's first album. I think then it would be appropriate to wrap up today's podcast with another song from that same album. So, to send you out today, here's a song from Pullin' Band called Come to the Rock.